blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, everyone, my steamy dreamies, and welcome to Scalpels in Tequila, a Grey's Anatomy <laughs> recap podcast. Are you going to keep saying that? I really like steamy dreamies <laughs> because I think of your cat when it's just had a bath. <laughs> oh, goodness. Hello, welcome to Scalpels in Tequila. I'm Tamsin. I'm Ayla. And speaking of steamy dreamies, just before we started recording. I don't know I was... if I like it. It makes me feel weird. <laughs> it feels icky. Well, but I'm was... going to leave it. You can say it. Okay. You said you liked it a couple of weeks ago. You're like, that's cute. Mm. <laughs> All right. We'll find another one. Um, fickle. Fickle like water. Everything changes. I'm an how Aquarius. How is water fickle? Like it can also be ice. And snow steam. and rain and steam. Are you saying that rain isn't water? You can never stand in the same river twice. <sighs> I'm saying that rain is like a different form of water. It's always changing. It's always changing. You made me go on with, for this metaphor for too long. I'm <laughs> just waiting for you it. to start digging up. So I wanted to talk about an Instagram thing that happened because I got added by a random person this week. And normally I'll have a look at their profile and decide they're not a really creepy old man who's going to send me uncomfortable pictures. And I was pleasantly surprised by a woman who just has the most engaging smile, but it was her bio that got me. I like cats. I'm scared of whales. I'm really good at reverse parking. I also don't know how to use Instagram. And I don't know why, but I just felt this in every fiber of my being. I was like, I also like cats. Whales are pretty tremendous. I reverse park because I'm better than you. Like, I feel that. And as you can see by the scalpels and tequila Instagram, I'm also not very good at Instagram. Um, But I just sent her a message saying, your bio makes me very happy. Please keep being excellent. And the response I got was, oh, thank you. I need to add exclusively listen to Scalpels and Tequila to level it up. And I squealed and I showed Evan and it just made my entire week. That so, is so adorable. I love that. Thank you, Han. And I hope that I am saying your name right because it was so cute. I have an Instagram story. Today, for the first time in Scalpels and Tequila history, I got the password to our Instagram account. And she um, dug and found it because neither of us could remember what we set it up as. I got it. And mm-hmm. I'm in. And I've never been in before. I have to say, I had I had my first chat with a listener because I've I've never I never jump in here. And um one of our followers called Jenna had messaged us saying, Derek's an ass, but Finn is bland and forgettable. And I hard agree. And I know, I know what we've been saying. I know we're saying Finn is the good guy. Finn doesn't treat her like shit. Finn makes Izzy sad food and he's not actually so sensitive because he pushed her up against the wall and he looks after animals and he births horses. And I think I don't think he's hot though. Have we seen him topless? Well, we see him in bed at the start of this episode, which is what made me start thinking about this conversation I had today. And then I actually admitted to our listener and I, I think I need to tell you this because you're going to go on back into your <laughs> Scalpers and Tequila Instagram account and see this. But I actually <laughs> said, 
I've been thinking about this a lot. I know in terms of actions, he's the better person, but for some reason, and Ayla is going to kill me, I think I still choose Derek. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, we all know. I had this conversation recently with a girlfriend. She's come up to me. She's like, I went on a date. And I was like, was it good? She's like, yeah, it was fine. It was really nice. But like got back to his house and the mattress was on the floor. And I was like, oh. And then both of us. That's acceptable until a certain age. We're in our 30s. So is she. Oh, she is too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No. Absolutely not. We both had this like complete switch of opinion and went, Oh, the sex is going to be amazing, though. (laughs) I guess it's going to be like the 18. I don't know, but I I just read this thing once that was like the best sex you've ever had in your life was always with someone you were just the most repulsed by. And looking back at it, you were just like, you know, it was that white boy with dreads who flipped burgers for a living. Not that that's bad, but like smelt like grease. No, just grim. Think about it. There's been one who you look at, you're like, oh, how and why? And you're like, oh, they, he's a two, but the dick in is great. He's a 10. <laughs> we can absolutely cut all that out. Uh, the point Not is, cutting that out. That's amazing. You just said dickin' like it's a chicken, <laughs> which connects to this episode so this segue is beautiful so beautiful uh the point of it all was we love hearing from you all and i might give tams and the keys to the instagram more often i get to come on more that's exciting oh okay okay we will get to this i promise i might even put like a chapter marker in this so you guys don't have to listen to the waffle which is the thing that i learned how to do I but love if you're already the waffle listening to him, then podcasts. you're listening to the waffle. So we're in. We're in the waffles. We're in the pancake of it all. All right. Ayla and I- all I can think of is the other day eating pancakes and eating waffles and saying that waffles are just pancakes with pockets. So we're the pockets. Yeah. Oh my God. We're the pockets in your jeans. You're welcome. <laughs> this. I had an important thing to say, just throwing that out there. I think I ruined it because I used too cute of an analogy and it got Ayla all excited. Yeah, it did. So um, we said this in our last episode. We're saying it on our Instagram. We are saying it here. We want to watch season 19, episode one, live with you all. I'm so keen. I've been watching Instagram lives um, lately. I I sound like I'm 50 years old. I just have been seeing some podcasts doing Instagram lives lately and I've been tuning in and I've been enjoying it. But also I am so excited for season 19 because who knew we would get to here? I've been watching this show for 19 years, nonstop. That's madness, but also great. You've been watching it for longer than the age you were when you first saw it. Yes, yes, that's... Mm -hmm. Anyway, how mind-boggling. So we are going to be watching it on Instagram Live together so we can talk and chat to each other while we watch it. And because we knew we were going to do that anyway, we are going to open it up so you all can join in and you can chat to us. Maybe we'll even, you can come on. You know, I think you can like add, oh, my God, I really do sound 50 years old. I'm so sorry. We're going to figure it out as we go. You can get other people on and we can chat and we can answer your questions. We can Mm -hmm. all watch it live together and it's going to be really cute. Our one issue at the moment is 
all of our listeners, I think there's like two from our country, but 99% of you all are from America, which makes sense. This is an American show. That doesn't boggle my mind at all. We need to figure out how we can be awake while you're awake. We've put it down to the fact that when it airs in the States, we get it about an hour or two later. So we're not going to be watching it the second it hits your shores at 9pm on Thursday. It's just we have to wait for someone to download it and completely legally put it onto the internet. Legally. Completely right. Completely legally. (laughs) So what we're thinking about doing is having a little Friday night scalpels and tequila sesh. Put some margarita and lime juice in a blender. Get Friday ready. night America time. Friday night American time. We want we'll to drink. figure out which America time that is as well because I know you all have different mm-hmm. time zones. Yeah, we're thinking Friday afternoon, Friday evening, come home from work, have a little relax, have a little tequila and some cheeky grays. We'd love to hear your thoughts. There's going to be a poll up on Instagram this week. We'll probably do it a couple of times just so we can get as many and we will finalize the date out for you with the release of this episode. So please come, please. I love, I love talking to you all. And I don't know, I get so excited when this show, when I haven't seen an episode before a new episode comes out. So it'll be fun. Very excited. Great. So it's happening. Yay. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, sometimes it's all just a fantasy. She's good with the segues. So this is season three, episode three, sometimes a fantasy. And you just said before we started recording, you love this episode. I have fond memories of this episode. You know how there are some episodes that just little parts of it Abigail you think Breslin. about quite a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, Stand out. She's like, like you see her in this episode and it is a character you remember for the whole of Grey's Anatomy history. Yeah. She's one of the most interesting patients of all she's time. The standout, mm-hmm. the MVP. Like, I don't remember much else of this episode in my time. Like, if you said to me, oh, what what exciting things happened in season three, I'd be like, well, she's one of the exciting things. Do I remember it being such a pivotal moment that Christina chops the chicken in half? Not so much. George being a dick, it's pretty standard. Izzy standing outside of the hospital in Denny's jumper, it hurts. But, like, Abigail is this episode for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Izzy standing outside is definitely something that sticks into my brain, but this is all about, in my memory, um, this episode is all about how incredible Abigail Breslin's character is and how incredible she is as a performer. Like, how old is she? Like nine? Nine? Ten? Yeah, something like that. It's incredible. She did this immediately after Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. I really enjoy her in Zombieland as well. She's so good. I feel like I haven't seen her in anything for a while, but she will always be like such a incredible child star and not in a bad way in like a you're an exceptional actor kind of child star Mm -hmm. so let's get into Meredith's monologue it is all about fantasies today very clear from the get-go from the title my favorite part of her monologue is when it's kind of the end she says most for most of us our fantasies dissolve when we wake banished to the back of our mind, but sometimes we're sure if we try hard enough, we can live the dream. The fantasy is simple. Pleasure is good and twice as much pleasure is better. That pain is bad and no pain is better. But the reality is different. The reality is that pain is there to tell us something and there's only so much pleasure we can take without getting a stomach ache and maybe that's okay. 
Maybe some fantasies are only supposed to live in our dreams. What immediately comes to mind for you as something that is so much pleasure that it becomes painful? What immediately is the first thing you think of? Are you just (laughs) blushing from ear to ear, Tamsin? Uh, No, I I mean, I am, but that's funny because the way you said painful reminded me of like, Getting UTIs, that's what I was thinking about. Is that pleasurable to start? No, no, but like, oh, my God, I'm cutting this out. Absolutely not. If I do not get Dickens cut out. I was thinking, okay, so Meredith, Meredith's fantasy is that she's having a threesome. Uh, Do you know when you first meet someone or you're first seeing someone and you have those those times where you're basically like don't leave their bedroom for days? Or the bubble. I call it the bubble. Mm -hmm. And then you can get a UTI and you're like, fuck. (laughs) You did too much of that. I don't know. I used to do that all the time when I was younger. It was dumb. I was an idiot. No, it wasn't. It was was great. Um, That's (laughs) that's where my brain went. But also... Also, like muffins, I don't know, chocolate, candy, eat too much of it, get sick, very obvious. Oh, any kind of bread product. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think we might just be showing our age. Uh, Anywho, I wrote down menage a trois and have been waiting to say it all afternoon. Also, the devil's threesome. I think that's definitely showing our age. I don't, I don't think anyone says that anymore. The devil's threesome. Mm. I feel like that was old when we were young. I have no idea. I just always enjoyed that. the word of it. I just, I think it just shows how fragile masculinity is. Because they have a name for it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Bloody it makes hell. me really happy. Bloody yeah. hell. Bloody um, hell. Also, in terms of fantasies, there is there is that idea that um, in terms of relationships, I think that's where a lot of our storylines always come from in greys, but you know, when you're like, oh, I really like this person or that person, or um, even something like a celebrity crush, right? You go, oh, I wish I was with him or with her and they're, and they're amazing and we should be together. But then you actually get down to like the reality of it. The reality of it is probably not the same thing, you know, the monotony, oh. the day-to-day, the thing. and Absolutely. And then you've got hindsight as well which is 2020, but it's also very soft and fluffy. You remember things as being better than they were and after years of longing for them, mm-hmm. you finally go back to that restaurant or back to that place and you're like, oh, this isn't as good as I made it up to be in my head. Exactly. It's this. It's funny that we're doing in, this episode this yeah. week because um, I am um, about to open a show that I wrote, a theatre show, and it's all about having conversations with people and saying all the things you wish you had said in the moment and basically living out that fantasy. So, you know, it's like exes or someone you met once and you're like, I wish I said that thing. And it's fantasizing about that moment and fantasizing about that conversation. And my show is all about having that conversation. So So I don't know. Your show's about having ADHD? Yeah. Having conversations (laughs) in your own head? I remember when you started writing that. That was um, just after we met. I know. It's been a long time. 
So proud of you. So, yeah, any of our Melbourne listeners, if you're not doing anything on the 15th of October, come to Never Said Motel and uh, meet Tamsin and I. I'll be the one with the giant bunch of sunflowers. Oh, my God. That's so nice. (laughs) We should probably start talking about this episode at some point. Yeah, I'm going to put a chapter marker in because this is ridiculous. Okay. (laughs) Maybe some fantasies are supposed to live in our dreams. We open on a dream, actually. Meredith is in bed with Finn and Derek because that is what she's doing. She's still trying to decide between these two. And that's kind of what she does for most of the episode. Is she trying to decide or is she trying to live in the joy of being wooed and not having to make a choice at the moment? I think you might be right. That's the fantasy. She wants the fantasy of all of the attention and all of the love Mm. being focused on her. They're not looking at each other in this fantasy. Totally. They are looking at her. She just wants as much love as she can gobble up. Because there is that fear, especially with someone with a huge ego like Derek, that it stops being it stops being about Meredith and starts being about winning. Well, and I think she's learned that in the past. Exactly. And that's what we sort of start to see. So Meredith has a date with Finn at the hospital today and he comes in, he's all cute and blah, and then Derek saunters over. And he could leave it. He could walk away, and but he doesn't. Alex, Christina, and George are taking bets on how much of a dickhead Derek's going to be. Alex thinks he's a he's the man. He will, you know, take it in his stride and meander on. Christina's like, <laughs> no. So I think we should start with Meredith because honestly, she doesn't do too much this episode. It's mainly about this uh, Finn-Derek debacle that she's having. And Derek ends up offering her a place on his surgery, some amazing brain surgery, and she ends up going off with Derek, leaving Finn to be like, oh, shit, i got to step my game up. I need to do something else, which then we see later he has arrived to her doorstep with freshly made ice cream just as she is arriving home after her dinner date with Derek. And then we get one of the best Meredith lines, I reckon, that we've kind of ever got. Because mm-hmm. I feel like her other, I mean, she does a lot of big speeches, but her other big kind of relationshipy speech, the one that she's known for, the famous speech is the pick me, choose me, love me speech, which we've established we've we established don't care for anymore. Do not care for anymore. It's too beggy. It's too like. It's pleading him to pay her attention. Whereas this one is more, you will do as you're told. You will make me feel special because that is your job. She is setting boundaries and ground rules and finally sticking up for herself and what she deserves. I loved it. I was so proud of her. This should be the famous Meredith speech. This over the pick me, choose me, love me. It's so good. She says, enough. This is not dating. I want moonlight and flowers and candy and people trying to fill me up. Nobody is trying to fill me up. Nobody is even looking at me. I'm an intern. Do the two of you have have any idea how much effort it takes to do all this? I am waxed and plucked and I have a clean top on and the two of you are looking at each other. My fantasy is not two men looking at each other. No talking until one of you figures out how to put on a date. I want heat. I want romance. 
damn it, I want to feel like a freaking lady. I'm I'm here for that. I feel like that mantra should be taught to all young women in schools. <laughs> Why doesn't necessarily we- mean that you should treat all women the same and they all want this. But what it, what it's showing is you should be able to ask for exactly what you want mm-hmm. and exactly what you need. What I mean is the, the speech that we remembered and held with us throughout our entire adolescence and adulthood was the pick me, choose me, and we should be begging for people to like us back. Why wasn't this the speech that give me what I deserve? Because this is her, in a way, picking herself. She's saying, this is what I want. Why don't we remember that for our Nothing until either of you figure this out. There will be nothing more. No talking. Go away until you figure this out. I'm going to go eat this ice cream in bed with my housemates, with neither of you. I, I, in clothes. She is just so silent in that bed. I would be screaming to my mates about how fucking boss I was and how ridiculous these boys are. I'd be like, oh my God, you guys, I just said all this stuff. I regret it so much. I'm repeating it in my head a thousand times. I sounded wild. They both hate me now, but that was cool, right? I did a good thing. Did I do the good thing? Please tell me I did the right thing. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So same page. And she's so chill about it. She doesn't even mention it. And I'm like, how are you not spilling that tea all over that bedroom? My God. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm very proud of her. I loved it. Yeah. Made me really happy. And it, mm-hmm. and again, made me really annoyed that pick me, choose me, love me is the thing that we remember and not nobody so is feeling nice. me up. Like, so, Speaking of intrusions, though, there's a well, newcomer in the house. That's not going to work because you just asked me to cut that out, so I can't use that segue. My segues are always really good when I'm embarrassing myself. So speaking of Meredith wearing clothes, there's someone in this house that isn't wearing clothes. Was that, a good was that a good segue? Queen of the segues, was that enough? Was that enough? Pick me. Pick my segue. Our second opener is we learn that Callie has moved in to Meredith's house. She gets out of a shower. She's wrapped in a towel. She's all naked. And Meredith is like, and what the fuck is going on? Listening. And she is giving Mark a run for his tiny towel money. Yeah. Callie's, babe. Flawless. excellent. Flawless. Except that George cannot appreciate her the way we are appreciating her right now. Mm -mm. All he's like is, she's in my space. She's been here a week. I said she could stay for a couple of days. Bro, ask her what's going on. Instead, he just says, that's my towel. This is your girlfriend. You're sleeping together. She probably gave you sex an hour ago. Let her use your fucking towel. Mm -hmm. This is not her house. Like, let her use a towel. Oh, George. He's back in my bad books. He came out a tiny wee little bit, but he's back in. Do you think he's that guy that has one towel? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I do now. I do now. Because originally mm. I would have said, no, he lives with Izzy and Meredith. Izzy would definitely have a thousand towels and I'm sure it's fine. But then because George is such a massive baby and he won't even go to the shops to buy tampons, he's probably like, oh, I can't touch a girl's towel. Ugh. His towel. But also you're right. And then if you think Meredith did a boss thing, Callie did the boss thing first and she goes, oh, all right, and just fucking drops her towel. 
stands naked in the corridor. Here you go, George. I just has a little chat with Meredith, like she's not completely naked. I want to go to the TV series that's based around Callie's internship because those bitches would be gossiping on the bed, having a that would be the best share house. It'd be so fun, I reckon. Well, Callie deserves friends. Where the where are they? Where are her? Where's her intern year at? She can't not have friends. She's, She's the best. Hilarious. And where so that yeah. that annoys me because I feel like she needs to be in a big share house surrounded by people that appreciate how amazing she is and how funny she is and how boss she is. And they all should be dancing around in their underwear. Okay, so the dancing around in their underwear thing is the thing that's getting me right now. And I'm trying to figure out, have we danced it out yet? I mean, they kind of do when they're drinking tequila in season one. At the house but party. it hasn't become a thing thing yet. So. Well, I feel like if anyone was going to be the matriarch of dancing it out, it would be Callie Torres. Uh, mm, yes, but I'm going to chuck in a Christina. Christina with her iPod. AirPod, like with her headphones in and her iPod cleaning the house at Burke. That's, that's. We're dancing it out. Uh, All right, team, we want to hear from you. Who is going to be the matriarch of dancing it out? Is it Callie or is it Christina? I think I'm team remember. Christina. You're always team Christina. Bland. Speaking of Christina, she is having a morning. She is watching Burke losing himself on the couch and she's being pretty passive aggressive about it. We're very much seeing the empathy monster rearing its ugly head again in Christina. Yeah, I think it is really, really hard for her to see weakness. Yeah, it's like it goes back to this idea about fantasy. Who she sees Burke as is a fantasy of Burke it's a superhero it's not a human and all of a sudden Burke is just a human being with flaws who's hurt it's actually like what you said earlier about the uh romanticizing about dating or being with a celebrity and then the day-to-day because remember in the first episode of the season we saw her fangirling hard over Dr Burke and now she's living in his sterile gray home exactly Exactly, and she deals with, like, his so, you know, so clean all the time. He's so, yeah, so neurotic and so specific, and she is not really like that. So the day-to-day is so different to what I think it builds up in her head. But we have been seeing their love recently, which we didn't get a lot of at the start of their relationship. So I think at least as viewers we are on more of a Burke and Christina like we get them a little bit more. We're more on their team, more on their side to be together at the moment, even though I, there's definitely problems. There's definitely a lot of red flags. I think we have been seeing the love between them a little bit more. Um, and this episode helps that, even though, yes, it starts in a very hard, difficult place and Christina just cannot handle watching this man and his flaws and his weaknesses and him broken. She doesn't know how to put him back together again and he's not really trying and she doesn't really know how to be there. And he's getting grumpy. <laughs> he's getting grumpy. Um, whereas Izzy is just trying so hard to be normal today. Yeah. So Bailey has actually gone to the chief. Bailey, after her great speech she gave to Izzy last week, 
she accepted some responsibility. She didn't need to accept all of it, but she is the one that kind of realized, I think with Alex's help, realized that the thing that let Izzy down was chain of command. It was not proper training. It was people letting her kind of slip through the cracks a little bit and no one monitoring her properly or telling her no. I'm still and mad that, that Burke's not copying any of the flack from this. Totally. He's not there to cop it, which Bailey has come in to speak to Chief because it's it's a problem. And she comes in to say that, hey, Izzy really actually deserves a second chance. We need to own up to some stuff. I think I think there should have been more about it being the hospital's responsibility and the hospital's fault. And this is just an intern. Bailey does kind of put it more on Izzy in this speech and says things more along the lines of like, didn't you do stupid stuff when you were young too? And I just don't think that's the right way to go about it. But look, anyway, either way, she's convinced the chief to talk to Izzy and come up with some sort of solution to get her back to the hospital. And Izzy is back at the hospital. She came in with George and Meredith and Callie and stood out the front and said, all right, team, I just need a minute. And she's standing out the front looking at the doors and Alex comes running up because he's late, you know. It's like, hey, good job today. You're going to do great. And he pops inside. And she's just left, staring at the door, preparing herself to go in and speak to Dr. Weber in Danny's jumper rough. I love the choice to have Izzy stand outside the hospital all day as her thing that she does this episode. I think it's poetic and beautiful and real. And I get it. That building would be so different now. It would feel so different. It's not full of the same hope as it used to be. It's not full of you thinking about learning and where you're going and how exciting the world is after you learn your new skills and meet your new people. It's where your life ended for the first Mm -hmm. time and when Burke's approaching the hospital he sees Izzy and all he says is are you coming or going she says I don't know and that's okay Mm -hmm. I think Izzy made a huge step to even get to there today We kind of see all of our interns come and talk to her throughout the day, but none of them are really able to get her to move, get her to change, Just they, which is fine. She just needs to stand there and she does what she needs to do until we get a really sweet moment at the end. Did you want to talk about any of those in specifics? No, I think George is bumbling. Mare doesn't seem like she really cares. I don't remember if Christina goes out and sees her. Christina does. um, does. She sees her at the start and gets awkward and just kind of walks away. Yeah. It's kind of like a bit of a comic relief thing, but she doesn't say anything too. Um, doesn't say anything too much. No, but Alex, on the other hand, Alex, he just he sees it differently. Alex sees Izzy. Mm-hmm. Alex loves Izzy. Aww. Alex, and he just comes out and puts a jumper over her shoulders and says, "Where does it hurt? Fuck her feet to be sore." Where does it hurt is such a beautiful thing to ask someone when you know they're already hurting. Mm. It's so caring. He's not asking her to mask her pain. He's not asking her to do anything she's not comfortable with. He's not pushing her in any way. He's just like, I'm here. And when she gets back to the house, the other housemates are like that as well. They're just, hey, you took the first step. You did good today. Yeah. I think... 
Well, Izzy actually says, I didn't, she comes up to Meredith's door. Meredith is eating this ice cream in bed and she says, I didn't go in. And Meredith's just like, that's okay. Maybe tomorrow. Because and that's it's, it. It's George just being so pushy. And she says to him, like, this is, this is really hard for me. I need to go in there with a clear head and I need to not think about the person that I was going to marry when I speak to the chief. So I think a lot of her standing out the front of the hospital is maybe realizing that she rushed this and she's not ready and it's a little bit unfair that she's being expected to heal and be okay and back to being the same as she was immediately. And we actually, see that reflected in Burke as well. That That is actually one of the moments that I do have notes for is when Izzy is explaining that about how she, when she goes to see the chief, she doesn't want to have to think about her wedding dress. And I think she says this thing that's really interesting because she says, I hate, I hate the bride thing. I hate bridesmaids and the colors. I used to think that that girl was stupid and shallow. So what the hell is that girl is what, what the hell is that girl's thoughts doing running through my head? It's like, she's admitting to the fact that she changed this whole other person took over when she met Denny the all these new hopes and all these new future plans and she changed she doesn't feel like that same surgeon anymore she feels like a different girl who's dreaming of a wedding yes still loves surgery but she has her future ambitions and her future hopes changed and shifted and she needs to be able to walk into that hospital knowing what she wants yeah, knowing what she wants and feeling like her old self again. I don't think she'll ever be the same as she was, but she needs to. I don't know if she needs to feel like her old self again. I think she needs to figure out an equilibrium between who they know her as and who she is now after being changed so deeply by all of this. Yeah, that's Maybe. a really nice way to put it. So we actually have patience today. <laughs> Uh, we have a new father who has epilepsy and he's having seizures. Seizures. I feel like Five you just a had a seizure. Uh, and they're going to do, yep, same. Uh, and they're going to do a surgery on him that I've been fascinated by since high school. And it's basically where um, there's the corpus callosum, which is this band, almost like the webbing of your tongue. That connects the two hemispheres of the brain. Yeah, correct. And sorry, Tamsin is showing me her tongue parts. So yeah, it's this, the connective tissue between the two sides of your brain that helps them communicate. Now, I can't tell you too much about it, but what I do know is that for severely epileptic people, what they can do is they can sever the corpus callosum, the bit in the middle. And for some reason, this stops the epilepsy, but it can damage to an extent neural pathways because we don't use each side of our brain independently. They work together as a team. So this this man at the end, his wife's very concerned about the surgery and he wakes up and they start doing tests and he's still exactly the same person who he was, but they put a cup down and say, what is that? And he knows it's a cup. He knows it is a vessel used for drinking liquids. Does he know the word cup? No. Who is this person? What is this person's name? He knows it's his wife and that he loves her and that she's holding his baby, doesn't know their names. But I think my favourite part about this surgery 
is you can get phantom hand and phantom limb syndrome and not in the way amputees get it. Oh, in a way that you're like, that hand isn't mine instead of there is a hand there that isn't there anymore. Like the opposite to the amputee? No, even better. You will be writing. If you have eight arms? That would be the bestest. No, say you'll be doing something with your left hand, right? Okay. And your right hand will meander off and just start doing something else. Ooh. Because that part of your brain is thinking about doing something else. It's not until you turn and see your hand that you realize that it's doing something else. Oh my God, that could be so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Think of all the things you could do with that hand, with any hand, that uh, that you, you don't necessarily need other people to see. What if you just were doing it? Stop thinking about Mark Sloan. <laughs> you always think my brain's in the gutter. It's not. That's why mine is. The entire point of this wild sidetrack is that this patient has a surgery, which I always found fascinating. But his whole purpose is for Christina to vent her frustrations at the wife. And it is heckin' inappropriate. Yeah. Recovery is hell on the spouse. Brutal being the caretakers. No one talks about them. They are the silent victims. Definitely super inappropriate. But as a viewer, what you learn from this is is what's happening with Christina that we are kind of unaware of. We saw it a little bit at the start where she's like, how's your hand going? Can you practice doing the stuff on your hand? But the way that she is talking to uh, this man's wife is like she's been a carer for months. It's like her whole world now is all about caring for Burke. And I don't know if she's actually there yet, but maybe she is and we don't see it because she sounds exhausted and fed up and it's this whole thing about this fantasy has come crashing down and all of a sudden she's living in the mud in the real honest human mud of life and she's like fuck she is being so much drama and again it's just her complete lack of empathy yeah she gets a clarifying moment I think when Derek says look you know He remembers the emotional connection. He knows who you are and who your child is. He just needs help relearning, and it's going to take some time, relearning the connections between the emotional connection and the the left and right side of his brain, basically. And this is the light bulb moment for Christina. She realizes that Burke needs her help to get better because Mm -hmm. Burke pops into the hospital today and has a chat with Dr. Weber. Yeah, he decides that he's taking a leave of absence or like he's taking time off work. And I don't think Christina has fully accepted what is happening to Burke yet. Even though, yes, she's saying, you know, she's helping him out. She's complaining about being a carer. But there is a moment where Burke says to her, like, this could take a really long time. I have to step down. They have to replace me because this, I don't know how long this will take. This could be years. Like you're a surgeon, you know the recovery time. Most it, it's, it's considered a success if they bend at the elbow. Exactly. And it takes, it's not measured in days, it's measured in months and years. But Christina's still living in the fantasy at this point because she says, but that's not you. That won't happen to you. <laughs> and then it hits her. It 
it has happened. This is his life now. And so it takes her overhearing Burke explaining how much work it will take to get this brain surgery patient back to back to where he was and back to being able to use his brain function to a level that it was closer to pre-surgery. And Christina has a very sobering moment and you can see the penny drop. She's like, oh, this is, this is happening. This is life. And he needs me. He also needs chickens. It's her master plan. You are not going to sit around and do nothing. You are going to be Preston fucking Burke and you are going to put these chickens back together. Chickens are dickens. I did uh, some Googling and apparently, so this is written by a new writer. This is her first um, her first episode. step, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> she really needed for this chicken to be cut in one fell swoop. And so they did a whole lot of experimenting because, like, I I have a meat cleaver at home. If a chicken's got a backbone in it, it is very hard to cut like that. But in their experimenting, they took a deboned chicken and put a little balloon in it to make it easier for her to cut. And apparently all that um, did was explode salmonella chicken juices all over Sandra O. Ew. Mm. I don't understand how a balloon's going to help it be cut, though. That seems Take out the hard bones. Although. It's just in there to hold it up, as in to make it look like a chicken. Look like a chicken. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, in the end. Sandra O just went hard and cut a chicken with a cleaver in one go. And I was like, oh, very impressed. But that's her training. She's like, cool, I'm here. I'm going to help stitch this fucking chicken back together, basically. And he's going to learn to suture from the get-go, just like Christina used to and just like Burke has done before because he has said that he is like Christina Oh, no, he said that he, he wasn't was like not like Christina. Christina. He had to work hard and He practice. had to work hard and practice. Mm-hmm. So he's just going to have to do it again. Poor Burke. Fuck, that sounds so exhausting. I can't even. Right? But finally we have a patient who potentially has more experience in the OR than George. Jesus. Jasper is a trooper. I don't know how this man has had four os. Surgeries. Yeah. Surgeries. Okay. (laughs) In one year. He's had two rotator cuffs and his ACL. That is a huge surgery. And he is in today to get an ankle replacement, which isn't something that I knew that they did, from Callie, who's working with George, who is, again, being a dick. Being a little baby. Being a little baby because he doesn't agree with somebody else's life choices. And he also just doesn't know how to ask for what he wants. No. And it's it's all that. It's just a lack of communication. He hasn't asked Jasper, the patient, why are you doing this? Why are you putting your body through so much if it means that you're constantly needing to get surgeries? He's just decided that what that guy's doing is irresponsible and wrong, and he can't conceive that that's a way that he would choose to live. It's exactly the same bullshit he's doing with Callie. He hasn't bothered to ask her what her plans are mm-hmm. or tell her that he's uncomfortable with her being there for so long or needs clarity on what's happening. So he ends up just putting his foot in it the man's getting ankle surgery 
Uh, Tamsin. Sorry. Do you know, sometimes when I edit, I I, I hear your jokes a second time and it's like taken me that long for them to sink in and, I'm, and then I laugh in the edit and not in the record and I feel very bad because you're really funny. Sticking his foot in it. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, please tell me that's not your TV laugh or you are never getting another show ever again. Oh my god. No, that was my fake laugh. Yeah. Just for you. <laughs> okay. But it was um, funny because you laugh. That was the point. I'm a good actor. So rather than speak to this guy, he decides to let him pay his respects to his donor uh, like he'd asked to do earlier in the episode. So he takes him down to the morgue. He opens up. This is a weird scene. George is being fucking weird, I think. He's proving a point. He's proving that he's right. And he pulls out this man who looks quite old. And to be fair, everyone ages a lot when they die because they go grey. Old mate Jasper says, I can't be getting this guy's ankle. He's so old. I don't want an old man's ankle. He literally wants to pick and choose the the guy who died in surgery because I think George is just flabbergasted that this guy would put himself through so much danger, not only doing the sports that put him into surgery, but the risks of surgery. I don't don't agree with George. No, neither do I because George then reminds him, he's like, no, this guy is actually two years younger than you. I, I think this guy has every right to do whatever he wants. I think this guy has every right to play the sports. And I think if he wants to keep playing and live his dreams and live his fantasies and he has the capacity to do it, he clearly must have enough money because these are elective surgeries, then fuck yeah, get a new ankle, become a bionic man, save the world, kick the football, play the sports, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like what Callie says. She does exactly replacements what replacements on people who... Are getting them because they haven't walked more than 200 meters a month. Like it's it's his choice. He can do what he wants. It's and he's doing it because he you. uses his ankle. He wants his ankle. Doing the things that he loves to do mm-hmm. is what gives him life and joy. So he's putting that first. And because of George's selfish fucking actions, this guy cancels the surgery. I really don't like George today. No, and Callie's furious. She goes after him and all my notes say, oh, my God, Callie, you can do better than the guy who can't communicate. This is this is so fucking true. I, I don't understand. Is she still just living with this fantasy that George's heart in the elevator guy? Like, is that what it is? I don't understand why she's so obsessed with him. I she can do so much better. She's so cool. Product of its time. Product of its time. We always, like, looking at Callie now, I'm like, fuck, man, she is woke as heck because she's trying to speak to him professionally and he just goes, I don't want you living at my house. And she says, if you weren't a toddler and if you could use your words, then maybe you could have said that the first four times I asked you and I would have said, oh, that's funny, me neither, I'll be out within a week. So she's, it's, I think it's honestly a product of its time. We villainized Callie as being too loud and too brash and too demanding. She she was never meek. She's never been meek, even around George. But as a product no. of its time, we I don't mm. think anyone back then said, 
Callie deserves better. It was more like, oh, she needed to teach George how to do the things. And that's been a recurring thing with George, actually, people having him to coach him through. But we do get the comment. I know it's not that often, but we do get the comments like um, to George, like your girlfriend's so hot. Callie is so hot. Callie is so great. Callie is boss. Like people, characters say that to George. All they talk about is Callie's appearance and her being like fiercely good looking. Mm. They don't talk about her strong personality. Okay. And I think that they kind of had to reaffirm Callie's attractiveness purely because of what was seen as attractive at the time. Meredith and Christina's body types were what was considered very Mm. attractive at the time. And Callie was absolutely not. Under no circumstances could a woman who looked like that be considered a heartthrob. I purely think this is the show being, this is is one of the examples why this show felt so, like, Ahead of, it its ahead of its time and correct and really trying to push boundaries. Oh, hate, it sounds so yeah. stupid saying that now, but that really was what was going on at the time. Like there's a there's a TikTok that I've seen a few times and it's this woman who basically does deep dives on women we thought were fat in the early thousands. Mm. It's people yeah. like Renee Zellweger. Or do you remember when Christina came back out after shaving, not Christina, um, Brittany came back out after shaving her head and everyone was like, oh, my God, she's so fat. And she was like maybe a size 10, maybe. Yeah. So casting someone who is not white and And not not a size like two, six, yeah. Yeah. Was and having everyone say how attractive she was. Look at every other deal. woman on the show who is considered to be a sexual character. None of them look like Callie. No. Yeah, I think this was all, I think that was very deliberate mm-hmm. and intentional from the show. I think they were really. But still, I would love it if they spoke more about her opinions and what she does and how grown up she is and how she just doesn't talk bullshit and is past all of this crap they're all wading in and oh my god please just throw george directly in the bin i honestly can't remember if they stay together after this but i you can't i can't you can't remember the kelly and what it just all came flooding back to me but man i am so angry about it because how they got past this i don't know it's definitely my it's like least favorite relationship of this whole show Mm. absolutely Again, product of its time, women in TV were validated by their relationships to men. Mm-hmm. Very rarely passed the Burschel test. Bechdel. Bechdel, sorry. It's not a sauce. Huh? Well, isn't there like a creamy sauce called a Burschel? A bechamel. Oh, so your nerdiness and my nerdiness are colliding. They are, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, can we go to my favourite character? Yeah, let's Abigail Breslin it up. Yes. So Megan Clover is fucking tough. She loves playing rough and she's come into the ER with a busted up knee 
and her parents are freaking out because this little girl is tortured. She is covered in cuts and bruises and bangs and scrapes, and that's going to look sus. Bruises and bangs and scrapes doesn't even cut it. She is, like, gashed and gouged and taped back together with fucking glue and what are they called? Safety pins. Yeah. Staples. She looks like the way Wiley e. Coyote should look like after he's run off the edge of the cliff. Do you watch The Handmaid's Tale? Yes. She almost looks like the new season when you finally see oh, I what the girls the did to the dude. Oh, okay, don't worry about it. But, yeah, something's what I assume it would be. Point is she looks rough. Yeah. And all the parents are saying is, like, she likes to play rough and this girl is tough. She's just like, no, I'm fine. I can take anything. It doesn't hurt. It's fine. You just stitch me up. And I love Alex bantering with tween girls because they always put him directly in his place and it makes me very happy. It's so great. You see how amazing he is with patience. He, he's, I love watching Alex blossom into the Alex that we come to know and love. I love it when good Alex comes out and like, He's really advocating for his patience and getting in there and, like, ah, he's so great. Fuck. I love it when good Alexes are back. But, like, he sees this nine-year-old girl with a a gash that takes up three-quarters of her forearm that's been stapled with a staple gun, just rip him out with her teeth, Mm -hmm. and is like, oh, okay, there are things happening here. And his, him and Bailey working together in this is really great because he goes over to Bailey and he's like, hey, something sus is going on. Mm-hmm. I've called social services, but this girl is like next level. And Bailey's just happy for him to take it. He's like, cool, you need to go to a pressure test. Put her ice in a bucket, put her hand in a bucket of water. So Alex <laughs> loses. You know, when I first saw this when I was younger, I did this to test to see how long I could last. I was like, I, I'm a superhero too, bitch. Watch me. <laughs> well, because she tells Alex, yeah, she's like, can you keep a secret? I'm a superhero. Punch me. Punch me in the stomach. I don't know why, but I remember it so mm. much. So clearly. Um, I've cleaned out an ice machine that was full of ice before and, ow, yeah, the it ice, It hurts. But what's really cool is that she is a superhero because she defends the wimpy and small kids and she gets into fights to defend those kids who can't. Alex is like, you're small. She's like, no one can hurt me. I I proved it the other day. He punched me 25 times in the stomach and then hit me with a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Shit. And so Alex just casually strolls back to Bailey and says, we need to do a CT. And she's like, yep, cool. Let's do it. And they just work together. It's great because Alex really listens. He really, he lets her talk about it. And Bailey actually says something really beautiful as well. When Alex says like something's wrong, she thinks she's a superhero and Bailey's like, that's fine. Let her think she's a superhero. Like Bailey's first reaction is like kids are allowed to live in their fantasy world. Kids are allowed to dream and play. But then obviously it's like, nah, it's a bad thing. She, it's, ma- it's like making her get physically hurt. 
Mm. But I love Bailey's. Bailey's automatic response to that I think shows a lot about her character and how good she would be as a mum. How good she is being as a mum. How good she is as a mum. So they do a CT scan. She's got blood in the abdomen and Addie's called in for a consult because they, they're leaning towards her having this chromosomal condition where she doesn't have any pain sensors, but this is normally identified in babies. Uh, but Megan is a foster baby because her parents died. It's another reason why she thinks she's a superhero. She's like, I got dead parents. Yeah. Chill. Um, and So she's had a pretty rough time of it. I'm assuming she's bounced through a few foster homes because she does say a few pretty sad things like, um, like don't let these parents think I'm defective. These are the best parents I've ever had. Like, don't get a social worker because unfortunately what you automatically assume is when a kid has so many bumps and bruises you do have to look at the parents and say like is this child safe at home are these parents fit to raise a child is she getting abused and that is automatically where Alex goes because from the scraps of information we've gotten so far about Alex's childhood is that he had a rough one too and he has been through a bit of a foster system not all the time but he has been into foster care so he he automatically assumes the worst and he automatically is on the kids side which I think is why he's so good with kids because mm. he doesn't want anyone else to suffer the same fate he did totally and he has like a pretty he does have like a bit of distrust for authority so I think he always assumes it's a something's going on top down well look even if the parents aren't a Using the child, letting the child injure themselves or become injured in that kind of way without intervening is neglect in itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're not intervening, though. They're bringing her into the hospital and stuff. I reckon they keep Mm. doing this. They keep bringing her into places because she keeps saying, like, get me out of here already. I don't need to be here. You know, it's not her first. It's not her first rodeo. First rodeo. (laughs) Um, Well, she runs away because she's going to get operated on. And, can't and take she doesn't want to be seen away. as defective. She doesn't mm. want these parents to let her go because she has to have operations and operations are expensive. But so sad. After everyone has spent the afternoon running around and searching through this hospital, Alex finally finds her and says, takes a bit of wisdom from George because they've been talking about comic books. It's really cute, actually, that Alex is like, you're a nerd. Tell me what you know about superheroes. Like, it's cute that he, not George, Alex. Alex is not assuming that he has all the puzzle pieces to this figured out. And he's willing to go looking in, like, not where he would normally look for answers, which is George. Actually, that's not true. He has asked George for help before. But, but he's never acknowledged that George was helpful in any way. Totally. He just he never acknowledges him. that maybe George knows something that he doesn't know. And this doesn't really help him, but it actually it helps him understand Megan a little bit more. George says superheroes, they look like anyone, like you and me. Maybe they're somebody nobody notices as extraordinary. Maybe in their daily life they get walked all over, but then there's a moment. And then he kind of just got, then it goes into fantasy, fantasy world. It's like, but he gets bitten by a radioactive spider and he gets superpowers. But it's this idea that a superhero comes from someone who's overlooked. Mm-hmm. 
someone who's doesn't sparkle, you know? And the superhero side is what is the most interesting thing about them. Yeah. But George does come full circle on this and says to him, you know, even though they all have their superpowers, if you were to take away Green Lantern's ring, which is what gives him the powers, I don't know anything about Green Lantern, he would still be a hero for everything he accomplished. Sorry, I'm just going to interject. Green Lantern doesn't have a lan. It's not a lantern. No, he has a ring that gives him superpowers, kind of like Bruce Wayne has money that gives him superpowers. Why would Green Lantern not have a Green Lantern? Evan, why is Green Lantern's superpowers come from a ring and not a lantern? We have to call in reinforcements. Green Lantern's, Green Lantern's powers come from the Lantern Corps, which is overseen by the Great Wise Ones. So what he does is he recharges his ring from a lantern. He's a green lantern, a light for all people and a light for hope. I love you. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. I still don't get it. So it's his intentions that make him a hero, kind of like Megan's intentions and what she has done make her a hero. Mm Mm-hmm but it's a fantasy. Exactly. Um, And she also lives in a world without pain, which sounds glorious, but it's also just the most dangerous thing. Also, can you feel yourself itch if you can't feel pain? Does that mean all of your senses are dulled? Yeah, I think so. I think that's why this this episode really stuck with me for years because I've had so many questions. Like if you had this condition and you, you needed to itch, yourself would you feel it no i don't think you'd be itchy oh you don't think you'd be itchy at all no so many questions totally and what is the kind of the moral of this story is that if you can't feel pain you can still get hurt yeah if you mask your pain you. you could get more hurt than if you just felt pain in the first place pain is there for a reason Pain is there to protect. It's to tell you to stop. It's to tell you you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. It's like an electric fence. Like this hurts, but like don't go into that smoldering fire of tires and witch castles because that's going to be a lot worse, you know? So much worse. Um, But I think one of the most painful moments of this entire episode, of which we both said was a pretty eh episode, but have spent a long time talking about, we had a lot of tangents, though. So many tangents. But I actually think the conversations it brings up is really interesting. One of the most painful parts of this whole episode is watching Addison try to say no to her transcontinental booty call. This is my first note in my whole page of notes that I can't even scroll up to now. But it just says, why is Addison saying no to Mark? <laughs> Who, who's, what is happening? You've called him over. He's come straight away. He's gotten in that tiny towel and he's like, come and have a drink with me. And she's like, no. No. No, 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 no. And he's but like, wait, but can like, we, Addie. Can we, can we say no like an Australian for all of our American listeners? Because apparently they're all having a very good time with the Australian no. Oh, my goodness. Look, it'll happen, but I'm not going to. If I try and say no, it's not going to come out like I normally say no. 
Oh, I probably just did it. You've you've just done it twice. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um I actually can't believe he's she's saying no to him at the bar. Like, well, she's had a rough day of it though. Let's be honest. So she wakes up, realizes everything that's finally happened, probably has a hangover like nobody's business, walks back into the hospital, just confronted with Meredith every single moment or Derek, and there is no escaping it. And then she's about to start her day and be preoccupied and work with Alex. She gets a call from Mark. He's being a little brat and has stayed to again harangue her and ask her to stay and she's set a boundary. And look, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Because if he was pushing my hair behind my ear like that. Mark has been in love with this woman for a couple of years now and him and Addison practically lived together. They did live together. In a love bubble for months and months and months and months and months. Then she left. I still love Addison, by the way. It's fine. Just, just, Mm -hmm. Just Mark. Then she left. He came and was like, Addison, I love you. We are meant to be together. We have been together for a while. What are you doing? Come back home. Be with me. And she was like, I do feel all those things, but I really need to try and make my marriage work because I think she had a lot of guilt and was feeling a lot of feelings and she really needed to try and make it work. It didn't work. The first thing she does, Mark is sitting at home being like, I miss Addison. And then all of a sudden she gets a call being like, hey, I'm drunk. My marriage is ending. She probably could have even said ended. He didn't know that it wasn't technically Mm. ended. And he's like, oh, my God, and my, I'm her first call. She must love me too. I'm flying back. She, He is there in an instant. They are together. Then he witnesses yeah. he witnesses the breakup of their marriage, and then the next day she won't even have a drink and, like, talk to him about it. I think she owes him a coffee. Yeah, I strongly agree. <laughs> I think that calling it a booty call is a bit rough. Um, I don't think it's appropriate to booty call nah, someone that you're in a relationship with. Either. Booty call is just a good line. Oh yeah, it's a so delicious line. Letting him have um, it. But like, I can understand that Addison is very like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, because she knows she's messed up by calling specifically, as you said, the dude who is in love with her. She has just made her whole world significantly more difficult. Um, has she though? I feel like they should just be together. Yeah. Probably, but like, there's a lot, a lot to sort out right now. She has to find somewhere to live. She has to yeah, go to totally. work every she has day. A lot to do. Yeah. yeah, and she's also confronted with Derek and Meredith being all squishy all day. And that would suck. Yeah, that's why she tells Meredith to just pick a floor and stay on it. Your face shows up in my head. Your panties show up in my husband's jacket. And I really need a minute or two without you constantly around. Go away. It is so hard when you have feeling, well, feelings for someone or even good feelings, negative feelings, if they are around all the time. It is so hard. If you can't get someone out of your head for whatever reason, but they are in your face, at your workplace or, or, you know, on on something that you listen to all the time or on something that you see all the time or you catch the same tram every day. Like it's impossible to get back into your everyday routine. Just stop thinking about someone whose presence is constantly there. Yeah. 
There's no separation. Because you probably, yeah, she could get distracted. She could be like, oh, I'm really into fixing this baby's toenail. But then Meredith walks past and it's like, fuck. Oh, yeah, that. That's the thing I wasn't supposed to be thinking about today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like we've all felt that way before where exactly. something cataclysmic is happening in your life and you get that pure moment of just it's a sudden realisation of, oh, shit, I haven't thought about X in a while and you're like, fuck. Exactly. There it is. Or Addison. Justice for Addison. Justice for Addison. (laughs) We see her crying in a closet today and it's so hard to watch. Did we? There were so many storylines today that we kind of went start to finish on a bunch of them. I know. I mean, we do have, um, and we have actually even talked about some of our wrap-ups today as well. I think Mm -hmm. the one thing maybe we haven't said is that at the very end of the episode, we do get a really cute little moment. You know I love it when they all are best friends and housemates and having a cute time. But we spoke about that, but we haven't spoken about the hotel montage. We see Addison checking into a hotel and we're like, ooh. If anyone calls, I am not there. Then we see Kelly checking into the same motel. Then we see the chief checking into the same motel and we are reminded, oh, yeah, that's happening. That's happening. And then we see Mark checking in and requesting the 22nd floor with a big old smirk on his face. And then the chief spies, oh, is that is that Mark Sloan? Dr. Mark, Dr. Sloan, is that you? It's like, yes, it is me, Chief Weber. And Chief Weber's like, well, when you're done being sexy in the hotel room, come and work for me. That's not how it goes, but that is like you can tell that that's where that's going. I like to think that they're commiserating, oh, no, I really hope that Weber and um, Callie go back to commiserating whiskey out of coffee cups. Like they did last episode. What, in the hotel room? Mm-hmm. That would be really cute. I don't it think that's going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. Um, but but we're left on a bit of a cliffhanger mm-hmm. and it's a bit like, is the chief going to offer Mark a job? Is Mark going upstairs to see Addison? It's cute. It's nice. It's great. It's lovely. Um, I don't like strawberry ice cream but I think that's because I've never had strawberry ice cream made with real strawberries. I don't like love strawberry to- ice cream either. Um, love to hear all of your opinions on this week's episode. Uh, the Tiny Tao is thirsty. Thank you all so much for listening. We are going to talk to you more about um, watching this episode with you on the weekend. We cannot wait. I think it'll be really fun and cute. And, yeah, hope you enjoyed today's ep. Follow us on at Scalpers and Tequila or at Misty Hayes or at Miss underscore Ayla underscore Azure. I should make it easier for you all, but um, find me. Bye. Bye. Vagina. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina.